But this is a marvelous day as we open God's word together. I want to invite you to turn with me to the gospel of Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to read beginning with verse 32. And as we do that, I'll invite you to stand with me one more time just so you don't get too settled in. And someone told me they were having difficulty sleeping but I bet uh, listening to me usually cures that so I'm watching that person beginning uh, here with verse 32 can we pray this prayer together Lord this is your word to me today may it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen. Amen. Beginning here with verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Limai Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened. They were terrified and exclaimed, Surely, he was the son of God. And God added his blessing to that word. Please be seated. 
First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 is a verse that I just find myself returning to again and again during this series as we've been looking at the final week of Jesus. It says this, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And so we've been kind of over these last few weeks during the Lenten season following the steps of Jesus from his triumphal entry into Jerusalem to now his crucifixion at Golgotha. The Apostle Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15, for I handed down to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. So what we're talking about this morning, what we're dealing with is not only significant, the Bible says it is the most significant part of Christianity. Paul said that Christ died for our sin and was raised on the third day. He was raised to life. There is nothing more important that we could talk about. Uh, uh, next week, we're going to talk about the glory of the resurrection and the hope that it offers through Christ. It's the focal point of history. It is the essence and source of salvation. So this morning, I'd like us to focus our attention on Jesus during those final hours. Because I think when we truly consider the, the pressure and the pain that Jesus endured, I think it's going to deepen our love for him and perhaps help us to understand his profound love for us. So first, I realize much of this will not be new to you, and I hope it's not in some ways. But I do want you to recognize that, that Christ's death was divinely planned. The, the death of Jesus was no unfortunate accident or surprising tragedy. It was, in fact, established by God in Revelation 13, 8. It says, the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world at the beginning of creation, before we were created, before God knew, before, uh, before Adam and Eve were even created. God knew that Adam and Eve would succumb to sin, and he had a plan to, to redeem us and bring ultimate glory to himself. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would become the Son of Man and provide a way of redemption. And so we read part of this this morning from Isaiah. 700 years before Jesus walked this earth, Messiah was predicted to die. Let me just read a portion of Isaiah 53 again. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's your sin. It's my sin. You see, the Jews, they misunderstood a lot of prophecy, and I think a lot of Christians even today misunderstand a lot of prophecy. They wanted a political Messiah, but Isaiah predicted he would suffer a substitutionary death. Psalm 22 was written hundreds of years before a crucifixion had even been invented. But listen to some of the phrases from Psalm 22. This is the psalm, by the way, that Jesus quotes when he is dying on the cross, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, for he has done it. While while Jesus' death was planned from the beginning, we need to understand that Jesus again and again had to choose to go down that path. Historians tell us that when Jesus was a teenager, there was an insurrection against the Roman government near Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. The Roman army was known to crush that rebellion. But in order to make sure that everyone got the message that you don't mess with Rome, they crucified a Jew every 10 meters along a particular highway for the distance of 16 kilometers. That meant 1,760 crosses on a road spaced every 10 or 30 feet apart for 10 miles. And Jesus very well may have witnessed that. He knew about crucifixion. In Matthew 20, 18 and 19, Jesus said to his disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem and there the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and they will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. You see, Jesus could not have been more specific. He knew exactly where he was headed. And on the day he marched into Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna, he knew that many of the same people would soon be crying out, crucify him because he wasn't the kind of Messiah they had come to expect. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays to the Father, the time has come to glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. So you see, there was nothing accidental about Jesus' death. It was intentional. It was planned by God from the beginning. He didn't just get caught up in a crowd's tirade. It was a deliberate death. The second thing I want you to think about this morning, though, is that Christ's death was extremely painful. (laughs) Matthew tells us that even before Jesus was crucified, the beatings, the flogging, the whipping, he had endured 
so much that it meant that, that his, his back was completely lacerated, his shoulders completely uh, raw, and so they had to call in Simon of Cyrene, a bystander, to help carry the cross for Jesus. The Bible then has this very simple phrase, when they crucified him. You know, it amazes me how, how understated often the Bible is. But think about crucifixion. He's within a hair's breadth of his life already from the flogging and the beating. But now he's laid on this, this beam. Nails are driven into his hands. Most likely they were his wrists because the bone structure would be needed to hold his, the weight of his body. In that day, the wrist was considered part of the hand. Even today, we say he was handcuffed, even though we're referring to the wrist. Nails also were driven through the feet. And the feet would have most likely had a small platform to barely support the body so, so he could lift himself up from time to time, pushing up just to gain some, some breath. I can only imagine then after that is done that the cross would be lifted up and then dropped into the socket into the ground and the victim left pinned just waiting to die. You know, today if someone is executed, we worry about doing it as painlessly as possible, but not the Romans. They believed that anyone who had committed a crime and deserved to die deserved punishment and it needed to be meted out. And so they devised this torture. The Romans, in fact, saw it as so inhuman and so evil themselves that they had decreed that no Roman citizen could be crucified, regardless of the nature of their crime, because it was just too despicable a way to die. But of course, there was more than just the physical pain. There would have been emotional pain, too. Verse 35 says, when they had crucified him, there they were dividing up clothes, his clothes, by casting lots. Can you imagine the most important, significant event in human history? It was occurring right then and there, and there they were playing games. They were mocking him. Pilate had placed a sign above his head, the king of the Jews. And the religious leaders objected at first, but Pilate snapped, what I've written, I've written. And of course, there was some truth to that. He was the king of all kings. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and the other on the left. Even they joined in the cursing. Isaiah had predicted he would be numbered with the transgressors in his death. You know, it's one thing, isn't it, to suffer on behalf of people you genuinely like, genuinely care about. But how easy would it have been for Jesus to just step down off of that cross and say, enough, you all can go to hell. That's what I would have done. He, he saved others, let him save himself. Let God rescue him. I know what I would have done. I, 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 would have, I would have gotten off of that cross and caused them to kneel on their knees and I would have demonstrated the wrath of God right then and there. 
can you think about the patience the love that Jesus had as he remained on that cross and he says father forgive them they don't know what they're doing amazing love how can it be that thou my God would die for me but again the most difficult pain wasn't physical wasn't even emotional the reality is the most painful part was the spiritual Verse 45 says, from, no, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. Darkness, deep darkness. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, it's impossible for me or likely anyone in this room to fully understand what was happening here. But it was during this time that God was loading on Jesus Christ all the sin of the world. Isaiah 53, 6 again says, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Somehow, spiritually, God was reaching back through time to Eve who chose the fruit and Adam who helped her eat it to Moses when he lost his temper, to the sin of David committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering her husband, and fast-forwarding to the persecution of the church by Paul and the evil perpetrated by Putin in Ukraine, and the sins of Jeff Schultz. My greed, my insecurity, my lust my selfishness, my laziness, all there. And Jesus, in that moment, became guilty of my sin. There was so much sin, the world became black. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 6 that when we sin, we crucify the Son of God afresh. Jesus became guilty of it all, guilty of all sin. And accordingly, for the first time in eternity, he separated from the Father. The Father turns his back on him. He had a perfect relationship with the Father. In Gethsemane, we see that intimacy that Jesus has in prayer. But then hours later, all of the sin of the world is heaped on him, and Jesus calls out to the Father, where are you? If hell is the absence of God's presence, that was what Jesus was experiencing in that moment. Jesus experienced hell for us, complete and utter alienation from God. That was painful. But I want you to see this. Christ, his death had an eternal purpose to when Matthew says in verse 50, Jesus gave up his spirit, John's gospel tells us that his last words were this. It is finished. In other words, his mission was complete. Again to 1 Peter 2:24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 
And so the moment that Jesus died, some very amazing and unusual and supernatural things begin to happen. Verse 51 tells us that the same moment that Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, right there in Jerusalem. Now, now you need to realize that before, only the high priest could enter into God's presence into the Holy of Holies, and then only once a year, and then with mighty fear and trembling. But now with the temple open, God's people have access to the Holy of Holies because sin is not the issue. Sin has been paid for. But it wasn't just that we could walk in or come into his presence. It was also that God was bursting forth in a new way into his world. And so we have the Holy Spirit who comes shortly thereafter where we could become the holy temple our hearts Hebrews 10 says we can now go confidently into the throne room because the curtain has been torn down by the blood of Jesus Christ so I don't have to go to a priest to be my mediator I don't have to pray through a saint or the mother of Jesus I am invited to go directly to God because of what Jesus has done on the cross and what's amazing to me, and I don't even know what to do with all of this, this power was so amazing, it explodes and even bursts open the tombs of some of the saints who had died recently. Look at verse 51. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs break apart. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out after the tomb of Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Well, that's interesting. I, I don't even know what to do with all of that. The earth shook, the rocks split, tombs are open. But what we do know is that it was a symbol that Christ's death conquered the grave. And then the centurion believes surely he was the son of God God's salvation wasn't just for Israel it turns out it was for everybody for all people for you and me this morning we're going to be coming to this table to remember Christ's death but this morning I would like to read you a poem and I'm not known for doing this very often but I was so struck by this when I saw it this week I thought I need to share this and I hope you'll be patient as it's kind of lengthy but I want you to hear it and I want you to put yourself there and hear it hear this story maybe in a fresh light it's called What Kind of King Are You by Michael Gerling What kind of king rides on a donkey, a borrowed donkey? What kind of king builds a castle with a wide open door for children to enter, but a needle eye size hole for the rich? What kind of king rides on a donkey into the city where his assassins are waiting? What kind of king enters his assassin's city with a ragtag commotion for all to see and not one security guard? What kind of king 
lets his subjects treat him like a military liberator, but doesn't come with a single sword or weapon. What kind of king are you? What kind of king can tell a blind beggar, your faith has made you well, and actually make him see? What kind of king can weep at the funeral of a friend only to say, Lazarus, come out and watch him come back to life? What kind of king can sit at the dinner table with his subjects and be subject to them and wash their feet? What kind of king can carry his own cross can serve his assassin and help in his own execution? What kind of king can die so that his assassins can live? What kind of king are you? A king who came not to be served but to serve and, and to give his life a ransom for many. A king who keeps his promises a king who I can trust, a king who can save, a king I want to follow. And so I come to you, King Jesus, not to be served by you, but to serve you and to give my life to you. So take my cloak, use it to clothe the naked, or use it for your donkey to step on. I don't care as long as you're the one taking it. Because you're the only one who will give me a new garment in return, a white robe made of the saints' righteous deeds, a garment that fits so well it'll be a new self, your self. Use me, King Jesus, all of me, as you see fit. Make me a knight or a bishop or a rook or make me an expendable pawn. I don't care what piece I am so long as yours is the hand that's moving me because yours is the mighty hand with an outstretched arm. Yours is the hand that rules with an iron scepter that knit me together in my mother's womb. So let me follow you, King Jesus all the way to Golgotha. Let me walk next to you and put palm branches at your feet and shout Hosanna with the children. And if the child in me shouting Hosanna grows up to an adult shouting crucify, bring me back to the water where I can be born again. Let me sit at the table with you and take bread and wine from your hands and let me lay my head on your chest. And if 30 pieces of the world's silver are ever enough to draw me away, wash my feet and make me clean again. Let me pray with you at Gethsemane and learn from you how to be vulnerable with the Father. Let me see your tears and sweat and grief. And if my prayers give way to sleep, wake me again with the waters of regeneration. 
Let me walk with you to the cross. Let me be Simon of Cyrene and learn to carry your cross with you. And if my Simon of Cyrene becomes Simon Peter and I walk away from your cross to deny you, lead me back to the waters where I can still die with you and live. And all along this long, rough road, let my song be Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Father, words are often inadequate but we try music is often falling short but we try but this morning we remember that long road that you took that road that took you from the throne of heaven to the streets of Jerusalem to the trials of Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas the high priest to the garden of Gethsemane to the upper room and eventually Lord to the cross may we see in a fresh way this morning that we are free because you gave yourself away you died that we might live may we celebrate that today Lord every one of us in this room is guilty of sin but in you we are forgiven may we receive that forgiveness O Christ may we trust you and walk with you and be willing, Lord, to take up our cross to follow you with our whole hearts. Through Christ our Lord.